to Coffee Kareem Podcast. They stay close. Marshall, that looks like tea. I thought this was coffee with Kareem. Um, no, don't, t- don't tell anybody. <laughs> you're going to have to hide the tea bag. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm a fan of tea too. Um, yeah. You know? <laughs> what did they? Alan Watts said if Christianity is wine and Islam is coffee, then Buddhism is certainly tea or something. Anyways, I hadn't heard that one. I'm very excited about this five before college project. And I'm sure you talking about it, you know, why you started it, what is it about, why does it matter, is going to naturally connect for us around your experience as an educator amongst the Muslim community, being a writer. Um, also, you know, for those listening and not watching, Hamza is also a convert and uh, has a different background and story and history around that. And recently, we actually lost Hamza's father. He died, as as your father would like it, very straight, according to the blog I read. Mm-hmm. But God rest his soul. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a powerful legacy here in the Henshaw family. It's, um, you know, a very cool kind of Aborigine uh, American, I know you have history and roots to the pilgrims as well. I remember you t- shared with me the story around your heritage. So it's like as white as you get here, folks, you know, but this guy, mashallah, is, you know, he's on the path of Sunnah Rasul and uh, God bless him and his family. Um, but uh, yes. Yeah, my friends, like to, my friends like to tell me that I'm white as the driven snow. Um, so uh, <laughs> alhamdulillah, uh, fortunately, we're not allowed to display our auras in Islam, so I will not uh, show you my stomach to confirm uh, that. But uh, alhamdulillah, um, uh, as you said, I did. Uh, my, my father did die this last Wednesday. Uh, may, may Allah have mercy on him. Uh, um, he was a really uh, amazing, amazing man and um, uh, huge, huge influence uh, on me and um, uh, he he was suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's uh, in the last decade of his life. Um, so in a lot of ways, my primary feeling was was really one of relief that uh, you know his quality of life had not been had not been great towards the uh, end of his life. And um, I'm I'm glad. I'm also grateful, Alhamdulillah, that he was able to say the kalima a number of times. Uh, various people him. My um. My brother and his wife took amazing care of him for uh, for many years, um, and uh, we give him lots of da'wah. And uh, and uh, so, inshallah, may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala accept him, and uh, and uh, inshallah reunite us in in the akhirah, inshallah. So, jazakallah khair. Amin ya Rabb. Wow. So, how your father? You did you accept Islam at a young age, and if so. How did your father deal with it at that time? And was it different than how he related to it over the years? Yeah, so Alhamdulillah. Um, so I, uh, I, as you said, my my family is, uh, is uh, you know, uh, very, uh, very American. My, both On both my mother and father's side, we, we can trace our ancestry back to the Mayflower and so on. And within my dad's family, there was a tradition of going to St. Mark's, which is a uh, boarding school outside of uh, outside of Boston. So my grandfather had gone there. Um, my great uncle, eventually my father, my uncle, one of my cousins. Um, so there was a big uh, family family uh, tradition of going there. 
neither of my brothers had had gone to uh, to St. Mark. So when I was the last uh, last chance, my dad was actually on the board of trustees at that point. Um, and so uh, I guess I had a choice, but I but I pretty much didn't. Uh, I, I I had to go to St. Mark's, uh, which was a wonderful school for me. I had a great time. And the most important thing that happened to me was that is where I uh, where I became Muslim. So I became Muslim in uh, 1994 uh, when I was uh, about 15 years old um, at a, a you know a, a boarding school, um, and that's a we can certainly go into that story. I don't know how you want to uh, take the conversation. Um, but my father, mashallah, from from day one was very very accepting of that. Um, you know he. Uh, I, I guess later in his life, he was he went to the Unitarian Universalist Church, and you know it was very much uh, sort of ecumenical in in his views and so on. And um, uh, if anything, I think he saw that it gave me an edge in the college admissions process as like a a, a white Muslim, you know, something something a little different. So he was seeing it from right. the Machiavelli perspective, diver, diver, <laughs> diversity, uh, right? A like, diversity oh, value great. point now my 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 white son has some diversity um but but no he he was very accepting i think probably you know most of my family figured it was a stage that people go through um but uh even as i you know stuck to it and it, it became you know my uh, primary uh, guiding force in my life uh he was always very very supportive as, as were uh, the other members of my family mashallah what was it about Islam that made you interested in it uh, at that age? Like most kids would be probably maybe thinking about a number of other things at the time. Were you generally interested in philosophy? Um, I I don't know if I would put it in such uh, such big words as that. Um, I think I always had definitely a belief in in God. Um, my my mother is Episcopalian, and I did used to go to church into a youth group and. Um, the whole concept of the Trinity never did much for me. I never quite understood uh, understood that, but I definitely had a belief in a higher power in 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 God. Um, but really, uh, at St. Mark's, it was more uh, you know there there was a student there, Nabil, who I, I imagine you you might know as well. Um, he um, uh, he was uh, one of one of my classmates, so I met him when I was in ninth grade, way back in 1992. Uh, so he had a fascinating background. He was uh, Gujarati Indian, so uh, his, like that's where his ancestry came from. But he was born in Kenya and East Africa. He grew up uh, eventually in London, and then his family moved to Vancouver, and then he was studying at boarding school and. Uh, outside of Boston, so very uh, sort of exotic background, um, and uh, he actually came uh, from an Ismaili family, uh, which is a, a sect of Shia Islam, and he had had sort of a um, conversion to sort of more, uh, you know, Sunni Islam the, the, the year before he, he came to St. Mark's, um, and he'd actually spent time uh, going out on Jamaat, you know, Tabliki Jamaat uh, for, for 40 days right before he came to St. Mark. So he was, you know, his Iman and his Amal were at a very sort of high level. Uh, he was uh, running hot, as they say, uh, had, had a lot of fikr for dawah and so on. So, um, you know, so we were living in the dorm and um, 
you obviously are living right with each other. You brush your teeth together. So at, in the evenings, you know, we'd be getting ready for bed and everyone would be brushing their teeth. And he had like a miswak, you know, so that's what he was using as a as a toothbrush. So that that stuck out. And then he started doing this weird ritual with his with water and stuff and putting it down his arms. And then he then he'd take his feet and put them in the sink uh, and, you know, make sure to get between the toes. And and so we're like, who the what is this guy? Like, who, wow. Um, but it, it didn't seem myst- did it seem mystical at all at the time, like to these like, yeah, I, I mean, other... you know, I, I think the natural thing to do when someone's different, unfortunately, when you're in high school or, you know, ninth grade is to make fun of that person. But he was sort of like Teflon. It didn't really work to make fun of him because um, he was so charismatic and and uh, and so on. Um, and after he would make wudu, he'd go back to the to his room and he'd call the adhan out loud. So we'd just be walking through this like you know Saint Mark's and we'd hear the Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And so you know obviously the adhan is a call, uh, you know. And uh, eventually some of us uh, responded to the call and and. <clears throat> And we saw that he how committed he was to to the faith. Like at, at football practice, it was the same thing. He'd be making wudu with like the, um, you know, the Gatorade bottle, you know, the water uh, from the Gatorade bottles and and stuff. And, and so, and he just, be, you know, as as you know, if you pray five times a day, especially as the, you know, sunset gets, uh, you know, gets towards winter time, you have to pray all the time. So you know, it was just he's completely open and. Um, uh you know with with his faith and and confident in it so um so eventually there were uh there were three of us who uh who got increasingly interested we used to sneak out of our dorm room uh at night and we'd uh, go over to uh to his room after lights out after the you know dorm parent had gone to bed and he had these books like spectacles of death and you know they were all these like stories of the akhira and like really scary stuff um, and we just got increasingly um, uh, interested, and uh, and Hamza, the other two brothers, actually embraced Islam a little bit before I did. That's uh, Huzaifa and uh, Nuruddin, who I think you also uh, know both of them. Um, so these, these three, these three, these two other guys who later mm-hmm. embraced Islam, they were part of this group of your friends that <clears throat> yep. witnessed this character. What what? That your these three. People mm-hmm. that you're listening, these that was your crew back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly, exactly, and they and they remain some of my closest friends uh, to this to this day. Uh, so Alhamdulillah, um, you know, uh, other he he Nabil's father had gone for Hajj with uh, Hakim Alajuan, and this was at the height of his uh, basketball uh, career. So one day oh. when the Rockets were in town to play the Celtics, uh, Hakim came to. Um, to St. Mark's and uh, he sat on the floor. He still towered over everyone, even though he's sitting on the floor. But um, he and he just spoke about Islam and and how much uh, it had changed his life. And and that was that was very very powerful. And um, and there were some other speakers that he you know he had come for for chapel and and uh, and so on. And um, alhamdulillah, you know, uh, it, it was a long uh process but eventually the three of us uh embraced islam and alhamdulillah so Allah, man thanks for so to connect that to you know what i've what i've you know obviously my life changed at the age of uh at the age of 15 and um 
when I look back on it, most of my career and education has been teaching that exact same age group. So ninth and ninth and tenth grade is sort of the the sweet spot for me, especially especially tenth grade. There's something about that age of uh, of fifteen that's a uh, that's very very special because um, it's a time when you know. Um, those adolescents they're no longer children they're no longer just parroting whatever their their parents said but they're also not you know adults and they don't purport to or feel like they they know everything they're they're sort of like putty in your hands they're quite malleable and a lot of times people take decisions at that time um they're not always religious decisions but but big decisions that that have a huge impact on the trajectory of their lives um you know when when they're that age and I yeah. think um, a lot of my professional life has been about, you know, trying to work with that age group, just because I, I think of, of all the times when you can have the most lasting, long lasting impact. Uh, that's really, that's really where it is. When I look at the teachers that that I had um, around that, that time in my life, you know, just, you know, incredible, in, incredible uh, impact. And, um, you know, I think that it's one of the things that, that led me to the sort of work that I do here. Um, I've taught uh, English in grades six through ten, but mostly mostly high school English. I've been the head of the humanities department. Um, I've been the assistant head of school, uh, and then uh, throughout my time, I've also been the the guidance counselor and in charge of college placement. And uh, yeah, so that's those are uh, long. That's your, that's, that's a beautiful yeah verbal resume. You know, <laughs> just like boom, boom, boom. Very a lot of diverse work with community mm -hmm. building education different areas, different points of study. Yeah, it's a very rich background. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's again, very interesting, all the experiences you've had. And now, you know, you've done something very powerful and kind of cultivated yourself into this potentialized or actualized entrepreneur. And uh, that's an always, always a very exciting step to take or venture on something I did myself, you know, and, and again, entrepreneur just means in the first step is, can I provide for my family without working for someone, but working for myself? That's what, you know, the first and hardest step. And uh, this is something you're currently doing with five before college. And uh, why don't you tell us more about that? Because this is a really fascinating project. And uh, it's something that our community certainly is in need of. And I think it kind of connects with the topic or importance or value of education within the American Muslim community. Right. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, as I, as I said, at, at Al Noor, um, I've done lots of things, but that probably the highest impact thing um, was, was helping with the, with the college placement. So the very first student I ever had to place Hamza got in early to Harvard uh, and, uh, and, uh, great, great first results, right? There yeah, for great, you, huh? yeah. Beginner's sure luck, beginner's luck. Um, but but you know, Hamza, we continued to do uh, to do very well. Uh, you know, placing uh, you know uh, a lot of students into you know great schools, uh, Ivies, and and many many other schools, and and you know placing all of the students into into four year colleges where inshallah they could uh, they could find uh, success. Um, and uh, you know, I I realized that you know 
obviously the relationships which you which you form with these students are just incredibly deep. I knew these students from the time they were in sixth grade all the way to the time they 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 graduated. Um, but it was having a very, very deep impact, but it was a narrow impact because it was just on the students within the walls of my school. Um, and I really wanted to take this expertise that I've developed as someone who, you know, went through the whole college application process myself and then later advised people for uh, for a long time and, and, you know, helped so many people find college. I wanted to bring those services to the Ummah as a whole. Um, and I think one of the secrets of our success at Al-Noor, which is a, you know, very small school, shoestring budget, um, you know, uh, of the uh, niche does this ranking of, of uh, private schools, and I, I can't remember what number we are, 35th or something in, in, uh, in New England, and pretty much all of the other, by far, we have the lowest tuition of any of the schools in the, in the niche top 100, you know, under under $10,000, which by private school standards is, is insane. So I'm thinking, <laughs> what's, what's the, what's the key to, you know, that success? And I think a lot of it is that I knew those students for so long. And, and because we're a six through 12 school, that we, you know, where the middle school is, is, you know, seeing the high schoolers regularly, and so on, it's such a small place, you know, this idea that, you know, you're going to college and and you're you're preparing for college from sort of the the moment you enter that that school is sort of built into the ethos of the school um and i think for a lot of um uh you know for a lot of people they think applying to college is something that happens your senior year or at most maybe you start thinking about it seriously your junior year but my what i like tell people in the name of the company is that that it starts 5 years before college Right. So way back in in eighth grade is, uh, you know, and certainly ninth grade is when you have to really start thinking, you know, eighth grade sort of like the the PSAT. It doesn't actually count um, your he said has not started. You're not mukallif in eighth grade. But the way you, uh, uh, you know, treat the eighth grade year, uh, you know, you're able to hit the ground running. You're also obviously make it, oftentimes making choices about where to go to high school, what kind of a high school to go to. Should I go to the public school in my in my town? Should I consider an Islamic school? Uh, what about you know what about private school, homeschool? Th those kinds of those kinds of uh, things. Um, and then certainly from you know you become balig uh, as soon as ninth grade starts, and that's when your your you know colleges are looking at uh, uh, at what you do, and and so. Um, giving students guidance especially in those early years uh you know beginning with the end in mind knowing where they're where they're trying to get to can be uh, incredibly incredibly valuable um and uh and so that's uh, you know that's part of the five before college the other um the other thing is one of one of my favorite hadiths uh is the uh, five before five hadith um mm -hmm. what's uh, that one about so uh, so take advantage of uh, uh of five uh things before five uh so um you're uh, and then Russell also some enumerated you know these five these five things so your your youth before your uh your youth before your old age your um health before your sickness your wealth before your poverty your free time before your busyness and your life before your death Right, so these these five these five things, it's like it's like Rasulullah had that quality of Jawam uh, al Kalim, where he was able to pack so much meaning into so few words. Right, so you're, you know, so I I think that this, uh, so I started a, a um, 
a weekly newsletter um, called Five Before Five uh, uh, early in early in this year in 2023, um, where essentially I um, I use this hadith as a jumping off point to share sort of five reflections that that bring in some of the best thinking of sort of Western thinkers and writers and stuff that I'm reading and hearing on podcasts and so on, and blending it with, you know, the the wisdom of, of Islam and, and really trying to, um, you know, cater both to a Muslim audience, obviously, uh, but also even to, to non-Muslims who, you know, might not know, uh, you know, how, how uh, you know, the beauty of the deen and the depth of uh, the depth of our tradition and, and so on. Um, so, but this five before five hadith also maps very much onto the uh, the high school experience. Um, you know, take advantage of your youth before your old age, right? So, what what does that mean? That's where I put in the academic piece, right? That's one, you know, the, the job of a, of a young person is that they're a student. So academics do need to come first, no matter how much I like to talk about everything else. If you don't have the academics, you're not going to be a very competitive college candidate. But the key mm -hmm. to succeeding academically, in my opinion, is as simple as one word, just read, right? Iqra, right? It, people who read are just fundamentally more interesting people. You know, colleges are really looking for for people that they would want to have. They could have an interesting conversation with. Right? And so many kids today are so sucked up in, you know, uh, you know, digital sort of algorithms and and this kind of thing that they don't have, you know, th those really interesting interesting ideas. And those can only come from reading really deeply and reading really widely and broadly and 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 so on. And all of these other things, your health before your sickness deals with sort of athletics and and wellness and and you know being involved uh, athletically and uh, um your wealth before your poverty this looks at internships and getting you know ha having sort of a career orientation and exploration while you're in high school your free time before your busyness i mean this is you know how you decide to spend your free time what you do with your extracurriculars what your friends look like your sohba right and then your life before your death this is where i talk about you know your your values your moral core your your faith your your you know uh, religious practice that that sort of thing um so essentially if if you're able to uh, have you know the five years before college focusing on those five areas then you know it's not it's not that you're doing all that for the sake of college it's just like if you do all that then colleges are going to be running after you because you're this amazing uh you know a fully formed kid that they would want to have on their on their campus when when a muslim fully embraces their deen and and you know ihsan and and all of these things they're just you know they're amazing kids, and and uh, that's exactly you know what what colleges are are looking for. Um, so that's sort of the 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 big idea um, is, is trying to uh, speak to Muslim teenagers, create a community of Muslim teenagers who are ambitious for the for the dunya, but ambitious for the akhirah as well. And um, uh, you know give them give them a space, a platform to uh, to advise one another, to learn from one another, and uh, yeah, alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. I love I love that breakdown, the five before five, and uh, how you're trying to, in a sense, operationalize or have a practical way for youth to make meaning of these things. And uh, the one you the first one you said about, you know, just to read mm -hmm. is 
are such an important thing that it's so easy. I mean, I did some reading today and, you know, in a book form, I mean, right. And me personally, it's been something that I've enjoyed a lot in the past and just sort of dropped the ball on it. Like other things, like when I had, mashallah, a efflorescent family, you know, just, <laughs> you know, blossom a little too soon than what I expected, but Allah's the great planner. And so you kind of drop some of those things, but picking up a book and just reading, yeah, it is such an important space to keep cultivating with yourself. And naturally it's like anything else. When you start reading more often, you can absorb and do it faster. And mm. you're, it's just like, it's like a healthy, almost uh, appetite or addiction. Mm. If you, you know, a good dependency or a good coping right. mechanism, as well as it actually brings you value. Like if exercise is something that helps you relieve stress, that's great because it also builds your body stronger and gives you stamina. It's like a good, profound habit. And uh, right. this is something I think we're really going to struggle with existentially. I mean, how do you, how are you doing with that as a father? I know you have two kids, right? Like how is their reading habits? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely, uh, alhamdulillah, uh, you know, I think I think my son has has gotten, you know, more into reading. He He's 11 now. And, um, you know, I, I've started to, you know, catch him, catch, not catch him, but see see him reading, you know, when when he hasn't been asked to. We used to, we, we've been homeschooling for a long time. So there were periods of, you know, si silent, sustained reading built into their uh, school day. Um, so that was always there. Um, but I didn't always see them doing it outside of that time. But now, now I'm starting to more, um, which, uh, you know, which is great. Um, one of the life hacks I've developed now is um, when someone mentions a book uh, or I hear about it on a podcast or, you know, I, I, you know, essentially when it's recommended, like I immediately go to eBay and uh, typically you can get these books for under $5 on eBay. Um so I just go to it and then I, I just click buy now. So as you can see, there are a few books behind me, um, uh, you know, and it's it's amazing because like I think these two shelves are books I bought within the last year, um, wow. you know, That's and nice. they're, you know, obviously I'm really interested in entrepreneurship now. I, you know, I already had read a lot about college, but I better read everything I possibly can if I'm going to be this yeah. college and, you know, obviously Islamic stuff and and things like that. You know, so, um, you know, and then, and then, you know, I don't know if this is the best way to read, but I essentially, wherever I hang out in the house, I sort of put three or four different books there. Um, and then I, you know, I try, I try to, you know, set a timer on my phone to spend like a good 20, 25 minutes, uh, you know, reading, uh, you know, on, in a focused way, now that I have more control over my time. Um, so I think, you know, there are strategies you can use. Um, and, and a lot of it, like you said, is modeling. Uh, I think if the if the kids only see us on our cell phones, which they certainly do, they see me on my phone, totally. um, then that's what that's what they're going to do. But if we show them ourselves, you know, that, uh, you know, th that we put this as a priority, uh, then we can, uh, you know, the sad thing is, there's some crazy statistic, like, like 80% of kids don't pick up another book after they graduate high school or, or, or college or something like that. You know, it's just, it's just very, it, it's sad, you know, because there's so much wisdom, um, you know, in, inside these, inside these pages. And as I learn more, 
about you know certain western concepts marketing and and things like that that i hadn't studied very deeply i see how much of it is reflected in in the dean you know and um and and so on and um so yeah subhanallah uh there's a there's a lot to be said i mean just visualizing that the one problem or flaw with books is the weight mm. You know, as someone, you know, who's traveled, there's always a hit, you know, books you want to take with you. Yeah. And certainly if you have to move your whole life somewhere, you know, and you've got, mashallah, such a collection, it's like the one day the technology will have like little, you know, digital mm -hmm. uh, folders and they'll mm -hmm. open and sometimes manifest yeah. and put together the, you know, right. molecular part and just be actual organic <laughs> book all of a sudden. And I can read it and then, you know, press the code and it can go back down. Yeah, that would, that'll be cool. Cause you can still. Yeah. I had a long period of, of uh, using the Kindle and I still do uh, occasionally. And I certainly do read a lot on, on the phone. I read a lot of newsletters and articles and other people that I, that I, that I really appreciate. Um, and the nice thing about those is like the digital highlighting and things are great. It's an easier way to sort of take notes and get them all sort of uh, in, into one place. Um, so whatever whatever works for people. But I've definitely moved back towards analog in a lot of things. Like I, I have notebooks all around me at all times where I take actual handwritten notes and, and uh, uh, things like that. So, you know, it's much as far as technology has advanced, I, I think going back to the basics often, uh, you know, is, is where it's at. Yeah, I always have paper and pen as well mm -hmm. on my desk, no matter what. Right. And uh, different ways of written, written language. I also mm -hmm. have a nice board, visual cues and so forth. Yep. Let me ask you, what, your, what are your thoughts about audiobooks? Now, it's not the same as holding a book or mm -hmm. reading it. And of course, when you see it and think about it, or even you're saying it to yourself, you know, on some level, there's multiple levels of activation when you truly engage a book. Mm -hmm. um, but people also have learned so many things through oral tradition and human history. And nowadays, there are certainly people who can down 50 audiobooks in a year, right? And uh, in many ways, they're exposed to valuable information. Uh, yep. What are your thoughts about audiobooks? Yeah, as I I love I love audiobooks. Um, I was just listening, uh, you know, to From Strength to Strength by uh, Arthur C. Brooks earlier today on a walk. Um, yeah, it, you know, uh, during the pandemic, uh, one of the things that it really helped me with was establishing a walking habit. Um, there was nothing else to do, um, so uh, <laughs> you know I I downloaded an amazing app called All Trails, uh, and um, it's uh, you know it just showed me right in my own backyard, right here in in Mansfield, like how many different trails and and things there are. No way. And and That's I would a just really cool app. I would just you know essentially I think I've walked down every street in in my town and many of the surrounding uh, surrounding towns. And um, I did it most of the time while while listening to uh, to audiobooks. Um, so another another great app recommendation is Libby, which is uh, through you can access through the public library, um, and that gives you access to uh, you know uh, free audiobooks or you know you have to you have to check them out of the library for a period of time. Um, but that's uh, that's great. And then, you know, in addition to audiobooks, I think podcasts are, uh, you know, the other the other thing that I that I do a lot. So I I'm very much an auditory learner. I love I love uh, audio, 
And um, one thing I notice about walking and audio is it it really helps with the memory. Um, like I remember even later when I walk down the same path, I can remember what I was listening to at that particular point. Oh, that's so interesting because you got encoded at the time. Exactly. It's, there, it's, there's it's, something it's, about the physiological emotion that ac activates perhaps the reception or the sinking in the imprint, you know, oh, like your body's more activated, which means the mind's going to be more activated than if you're just, you know, because if you pick up a book after four hours of being, you know, immobile, Mm -hmm. probably it does affect the level of absorption. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I, I, uh, I really, so, so uh, Tim Ferriss uh, wrote the four hour work week. Um, they never used to read because I thought the title was so sort of asinine, I guess, uh, you know, I, I just figured it was, you know, it, it, it didn't have any real depth, but then it kept on showing up on like books you should read. So I was like, okay, fine. Um, so I started listening to to that. And that's one of the things which sort of catalyzed this whole entrepreneurial journey because it, it really laid out, you know, a, a whole new way of, of thinking about our professional lives and what we're trying to 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 do. I highly recommend that go to eBay right now and buy a four hour um so but, you judged uh, this book up front, it was asinine, and then it actually like flung <laughs> you into this entrepreneurial energy. So Paolo. Yeah, no, it's 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 an and I and I know I'm far from the only one. Um but you know, I wanted to figure out okay, so what's Tim Ferriss doing now? And I find out lo and behold, he has like one of the most popular podcasts on, you know, in in the world. And uh so that's one that was like your favorite one of your favorite podcasts. Yeah. So I, I really I, I've learned so much from him and he leads me to other thinkers and and uh and and so on. Um and so so yeah, there there are some some great uh podcasters uh out there, and I find that format works well because you can sometimes consume it in you know maybe one hour or two long walk um whereas you know audiobooks are obviously long the last year or two uh i've been doing mostly nonfiction. i've like i i am in the sort of entrepreneurial kick and trying to learn as much as i can um and i've swung a little bit away from fiction which i'm sort of sad about i i you know i love fiction as well and i teach it and and all that but um yeah um definitely uh, if there are kids listening to this, I don't know what your audience looks like, but but uh, reading and, and adults for that matter, you know, adults need to need to read too. I mean, it's like it's such a gift. This is what people used to do, you know, b uh, back before we had all these digital devices in the evening. Everyone would be sitting around, you know, reading reading books and reading the newspaper and and uh, and so on. And it's walking, reading. You know, these are the simple things in life that uh, you know that we need to get back to. Yeah. I, I don't know if that argument works though with youth, like, because we used to do it before mm. <laughs> you guys would like it, but it's I'm more not, to me, it's, yeah. it's more about like the, <laughs> of course it's about, you know, the actual activity and impression it leaves on a developing human being. Mm. And the fact that we've been engaging knowledge through oral tradition and script, uh, you know, that's and all the surface digital stuff is new, which doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong, right? Right. But I think it's just when you go, go back to let's say being in the middle way, which is a virtue or principle in most religious views, it's like being balanced, right? So 
including ourselves. It's like, I am on my phone too much because we've now made so many things we need to do through the phone, right? You make payments, you pay bills, you make phone calls, you have meetings like this, you do work, you socialize. And so it's very difficult to uh, get out of that right zone but that's why you know we're kind of emphasizing and i would argue that being connected to books is part of the principle of you know health and balance of like we have to stay connected to nature for god's sake and books is one of the ways that we actually are engaged in our nature and it's also written on a tree Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's physical and it lasts and it has you know it's part of our heritage in so many ways Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing would have happened in civilization without reading and mm-hmm. knowledge in general. Yep. So it's a really cool it's it's if that one thing is something everyone in this year can accomplish, like having a good reading goal. Right. Um, it would be it would make such a big difference in your life. You Absolutely. Know? And yep. reading also it's like has just like online, you have infinite channels and media and things you can engage. Reading, you know, has the same things. Like you want to learn how to do grow a business. You could, there's a bunch of powerful books that can actually enlighten your brain and consciousness to go do something that you could have never done before. If you're into fiction or fantasy or medical, I mean, there's books on everything, probably more nuanced than YouTube, believe mm-hmm. it or not. You know, uh, it's just, there's or TikTok. amazing. Yeah. Or TikTok. Right. But, I mean, you know, not to say that there's not good stuff on YouTube there, you know, I mean, that's no, I love YouTube, I bro. I love it. I, I think yeah, uh, we're, not, we're not housing on it. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I think I think sometimes kids feel like we're coming at them when we when we talk about these things. And there are, you know, there are different ways you coming can, at you, kids. There, there's different you. ways you can use TikTok, you know, and I think, you know, uh, I actually find, you know, if I want. If I want to learn something quickly, TikTok's actually not the worst resource in in the world. Um, I was at I started CrossFit recently, and uh, the very first day we had to do this thing called the Turkish Get Up, and I'm like, what what is the Turkish Get Up? So it's a, it's this move that I will not demonstrate, um, but uh, it's a it's a it's a sort of complicated way to get up. You have like a kettlebell in your hand, and it's this it's this move. So, but. Anyway, I was I was struggling with it. There's a lot of moving parts and so on. So then I go to TikTok and I'm like Turkish get up and you know I watch like you know like 15 hundreds of people. I've seen, I've seen the world record Turkish get up and I've you know oh my god. Um and so then I'm asking the Turkish kids at school like so when you when you want to get up from the floor is this is this what you guys do? Um you know but uh but yeah, you know t- TikTok has uh you know has some good stuff. I've actually started filming some videos that I'm going to create a TikTok, apparently that's the way you uh, reach my target audience. Um, so I'm uh, embarking on on this uh, new uh, path. It, so, it is. I have not even, dude, I haven't, I think I downloaded it, but I've never quite used it except for it being a link from something else. Right. But do you, would you, as an entrepreneur, would you recommend like this is the one of the most powerful marketing tools? I mean, it, it really depends on what your what your audience is um you know i you know for better or worse i need to reach kids where the kids aren't on facebook right i mean i can talk to their parents on facebook um and the parents you know are often the clients right so that's that's a good place but if you really want to um get 
in front of kids, you need to be on Discord, you need to be on TikTok, you need to be in the places where, where, uh, where kids hang out. Um, you know, and they're not, they're not all, uh, like I said, it's not, it's not all bad. The problem is when, you know, the dopamine hits come and you get into the, the doom scrolling or, or just like, you know, I mean, it can suck you in. It's so powerful. Like people who think they can beat the algorithm, that that these brilliant you know evil computer scientist people in Silicon Valley uh you know are it, it's well it's no TikTok's up. Chinese dude right yeah. well yeah that's so. true yeah I, I you know but but the, the the point is like social media can can suck you I mean LinkedIn does it for me because uh you know well, they, I, yeah they all they all do this the point here is that it, it's literally a robot hand coming out of the screen grabbing you by the neck and it just right. wants to hold your face to its right. screen pressed up against it and right. it doesn't want to let go that's what they're accomplishing through mm -hmm. algorithms right right that's like the metaphysical experiences like right. <laughs> you know and you just face is all stuck up again yeah and it's like it doesn't matter you know and i mean i try at least when it comes to that to intentionally leave this device behind you know so if i take my kids to the park mm. i don't bring my phone you know yeah. i just don't or if we're going to sit down and have family dinner i don't have a phone on that table i usually mm -hmm. put it in my backpack you know which i use to go to work and so forth and so that helps a lot designating you know it's just not going to be Long with you space, because yeah. like you said you also want to you know engage the kids or engage people around you, you have to first put your device down. A lot of us will be like, oh, everyone's on their phone, so I'll go on my phone too. Right. And we fall into it, right? Because mm -hmm. it's easier and I can just chill and get my dopamine or whatever I'm seeking, right? <laughs> but uh, it is very important to try that. And right. uh, no matter what the age, like it's really, plus we don't know all the electrical electromagnetic energy that's just been busting our nerves and our hands i mean how many of us are going to have wrist problems and finger and neck problems <laughs> because we're always looking down right subhanallah inshallah um yeah but uh mashallah you know i think uh i i think that like you said dinal wasat there's there's a middle way you know um you know uh I think I think that's one of the the main things I've learned by being around teenagers. Like like we like to sort of like say these millennials or whatever we're on to now, Gen Z or or something like you know have pe people like cast them as these very shallow and you know uh, non thoughtful people, and that's just not the case, or at least it's not universal. So this right. the students that I work with just blow me away with their with their sincerity, with their curiosity you know, with their ambition. Um, I mean, it's really exciting working with, with, with young people. Um, and, uh, and I think that's one of the, been one of the great things about, you know, five before college um, that, you know, when I, when I was a teacher, there was always, you know, th there's the whole 80, 20 principle. So there's always like 20% of the kids who are really like excited. They're hanging on your every word. They want to get the full benefit of, of the, the class. And then, you know, the majority are just, many of them are just sort of there or they have to be in school and, and so on. But when you do a business like this, the people who come to your events, the people who sign up for your classes, the, you know, they're there by their own volition for the most part. And they they're really eager and they want the they want to help them the, themselves. So it's like you're working with, you know, a group of the those 20 percenters. Um, so it's been it's been really, uh, you know, energizing, you know, to, uh, you know, to work with uh, with these with these young people and and um 
you know, it's, uh, you know, and the other thing I would say about, about college is a lot of times my first meeting with the parents is just like, so um, there are a few schools that uh, my son could go to. Uh, Harvard would be okay. Stanford, maybe Yale, Princeton. Uh, that's about the list. And so then, like a parent like approaches you and basically says, <laughs> here's the menu that I want you to somehow. Right. This doesn't always happen. But okay. that does. But that once does... in a while, you'll get this and this frequency, which is still really funny. But right, and it's just it's exactly because oftentimes, you know, those are the parents who know the least amount about the the process and uh, and and so on. And you know, the reality is there are so many great universities in this uh, in this country, and really, you need to focus on you know, the fit. And uh, th there's so many other factors that go into uh, whether... Having the prestigious name. Exactly. The the prestige is, is just not, you know, I mean, you know, if you're a really exceptional student and you've had this amazing high school career and, and these schools are, are uh, possibilities for you, by all means, like, alhamdulillah, I, I did go to Harvard. I had a wonderful experience there. I, uh, you know, almost all positive things to say about the school. Um, and and all these other uh, you know great brand name schools are are great as well, but the fact is like SIT you know where I went to graduate school, I often tell people I got more in one year there than I did in four years at Harvard, right? It was just a life changing uh, experience. They didn't have grades there; they just had sort of like a a portfolio and comment system, and you know and the way I got to know my teachers and my or my professors and my classmates, it was just it, it was it was incredible. Um, and so there are a lot of sort of small uh, colleges out there, and uh, you know uh, other uh, other places that. You know, if it, if it fits you, you will get an ex exceptional education if it's yeah, the right compatible. And fit, exactly. Right? And, and then, you know, there's the financial piece to it. You know, um, I think if you can graduate uh, debt free, you know, that's almost always the, the best option. Right. Like, like, you know, people go into just, you know, horrific uh, amounts of, uh, of student debt and, you know, let alone the whole riba issue. Like, it's just, you know, it, it shackles you and, and it. It changes like the sorts of careers you can look at. You can't necessarily go into something that's sort of service oriented because you really need to, you know, make the money to pay it back. It's a, you know, it's a it's a difficult uh, difficult world that uh, that uh, that's out there. But if you if you play your cards right, um, you know, it can be a really good investment. I mean, not to plug, you know, independent counseling, but you know, if you you know, if you spend a thousand dollars up front and it ends up helping you shave off a hundred thousand dollars from your your uh, college bill by directing you to the right place or helping you get the right scholarship or whatever whatever the case may be, obviously that's a pretty good investment, right? Um, you know, and and I find that a lot of Muslim families they they love what you say and they like it, but then when you suggest that like okay you should probably consider investing in this, they like, you know it's it's like this thought, you know how could I, you know that 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 doesn't that doesn't make sense like this should this should just be for free. But the reality is if you look at other communities, this is this is uh this is what they do. I mean you look at what private schools are are. Uh, charging people today you know even when when i was at fay international boarding students were paying seventy five thousand dollars a year for middle school oh my god 75 grand for middle school so you know um it's just it's it's, it's insane and and you know and this is what 
parents, uh, obviously well-heeled parents, but they're, what they're willing to do to try to give their kids, uh, you know, a, a, a leg up and, and so on, you know, but I don't think it needs to be as complicated as that. Like I said, if you focus on those, you know, five before five things, um, you know, you can, uh, you know, really have just an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary life. And first and foremost is your, is your, is your Dean, you know, if, if you can, um, you know, really, uh, uh, just, just learn, learn the dean and, and take it at, like, like I think with with me as a as a convert, um, you know, people will say things to me like, "You are Muslim by choice, and I am Muslim by chance. Therefore, you are better than me." And this, no, it, you still got to choose. Even if this never makes Muslim. sense to me, right? Because we're all Muslims by choice. First of all, Yahdi may yasha, wa yudillu may yasha. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala guides whomsoever He wills and leads astray whomsoever He wills. So we're all Muslim by the choice of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But secondly, like we, every single Muslim needs to choose Islam as their way of life, right? That that you don't just because your dad's a doctor doesn't make you a doctor. You need to go through many many years of training in order to have the same degree. Right. Right, but we right. we don't understand this with, with with the deen. So we all need to be Muslim by choice. And so the biggest thing that can happen at that age of fifteen is that people make the choice to be Muslim, not because their parents told them, you know, but because they want to. They make the decision. I'm never going to miss one of my prayers again. Right? When when kids make that decision and they're like, "Khalas," like uh, I'm a Musalli. I'm I'm you know this is this is a top priority. Uh, that uh, you know that in case I forget or something happens, you know I'm not going to miss another prayer. These are life changing things, and so at that point, you know who cares where they end up going to college, right? If they, you know they're they're on a path to su eternal success, right? And of course the 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 college follows along because you find someone who's very grounded and has you know strong values and and things like that. So, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, it comes down to what we value. But uh, to summarize, it sounds like you, you know, are able to help students. It's it's you're trying to do a holistic approach as far as the values of your service, right? But you do take them through this practical process of identifying different schools. You know why certain schools may stand out. Like I'm sure you've built some kind of a database of like, you know alternative schools or other pathways for students looking for that. I mean, in a sense, you could also, you're trying to help people figure out what they want to do with the rest of their lives. But college happens to be one that many of us will end up choosing or going through, or that's mm -hmm. just a convention, right? Right. Um, but do you feel like there are people who go, not going to college is actually going to be something that could be good for them? Like oh, definitely. as far as just that's just part of the society and not, right. uh, not everyone's going to be academic and so forth. I, I I absolutely think that. And, and you know, work. So at my school, one of the big statistics they always take pride in is that, you know, every one of our graduates, 100 percent have gone on to four year universities, which is which is true as far as I know. But they haven't all graduated from those four-year universities, right? And that's the more important statistic. Just getting people into college isn't that uh, impressive. And there are a lot, not a lot, but but usually there's a small handful of students for whom college doesn't make sense, or it certainly doesn't make sense right now. Um, you know, if, if a kid is like incredibly, um, 
do with their hands or something. They're not academically inclined at all, but they love cars and and something like that, you know. Or they, you know, or they're they're great with, you know, machines or something like that. Like like you can be an HVAC repair person, you can be an electrician, you can be an auto mechanic. You can. There's so many careers that aren't getting outsourced and not getting replaced by AI. You can be a plumber. And people need them every day. And exactly with things we use every single day, it's some of the most practical things. And you can be very successful if you're good exactly. at anything. You're making, you you're making six figures in your early 20s. You can settle down. You can get married. So absolutely, that path makes a lot of sense. I think vocational school is a wonderful thing. It wouldn't have been great for me because I am incredibly bad with my hands, you know, um, and and so on, you know. But for 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 certain uh, kids, absolutely, you know, for better or worse, I need to sort of choose a lane and a niche. And this is this world of college and everything is, is what I know best. But I would love to, you know, advise Muslim youth as, as a whole. And I certainly don't think going to a name brand college is the only path uh, is the only path to success, or even going to college itself. Um, you know, I think. Sometimes going to community college for for two years and then transferring is a is a path that makes a lot of sense. So it's very often, smart. Yeah, it's often financially, um, you know, the 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 best path to uh, the best path to go, um, and you know, uh, so, so I think there there are so many uh, different uh, pathways to uh, to success, and and I think, you know, it's it's important for Muslims to put their prestige aside right they don't put on your uh on your gravestone you know where you went to college what your gpa was what your bank balance is you know these are not things that that uh you know that that ultimately matter those aren't announced on yom al-qiyama and and uh you know those kinds of things so um we're not gathered with our alumni on yom al-qiyama yeah yeah i guess <laughs> there's there's not a harvard section under the arch you know like <laughs> Well, inshallah, there will be, but it, you know, but it for the be. right reasons. <laughs> I, I know some brothers who belong. No, but I get your point. I mean, we have to remember that, you know, I've always tried to understand the concept of the dunya as the human constructed or human, you know, developed um, aspects of life and living that make us heedless or forgetful of God, no matter what it is, right? So having work, ibadah, having a job is a type of ibadah. But if I my ibadah now becomes my job, it now becomes a very dunya thing that I go to work, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it has to do with the state of self and how we're engaging the process. And, uh, you know, it's you're reminding us here, of course, of anything that's taken too far and makes us forgetful of mm -hmm. the ultimate reasons or purpose of being here which is to take our means you know seriously uh, at the same time if most of us want to make money and be able to provide for a family which is there's no everybody wants that it's about understanding what's the best way i can do that but more importantly part of our purpose or meaning of life is to make meaning of it and to find purpose and so i think it's also just a good reminder for people to trust that you know, there's going to be people born with different powers and different tracks and missions and ways of giving value to society. And many of them can be very lucrative or financially rewarding. And it's just mm -hmm. being more open to doing more with our talent as a community rather than doing less by continuing to pursue the same 
industries or tracks or degrees because of prestige or because of, again, there's many jobs you can make six figures and it doesn't have to be a doctor, mm-hmm. right? There's many okay. things you could develop or do and eventually make that amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. If people want to make money, that's possible in many avenues. And I think that's important to know this. Um, I mean, I even spoke someone working really hard doing a car service can make 10K a, a month if you really want to. And you have certain strategies around airports and hours and route, and you become a master at your job, no matter what yep. it is. You mm-hmm. can always be successful, right? And what's more, what's more, what do you respect more? A person who's like, you know, you go into someone's house, it's really nice. They have a nice car. They're very gracious, generous. You can tell like, oh, these guys are doing financially great. And it turns out the guy is, X, Y, and Z, something you never would associate with, you know, your upbringing as something worthy of pursuit. Mm-hmm. There's many people in, 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 in stories like this. Oh, right? 100%. And, and, it's, and you have to humble yourself and recognize like knowledge is in a sense often can be horizontal. And what gives it the depth or power impact is if you do it well, like no matter what you do. If you want to be a violin player, like you do it with Ihsan as much as possible, right? But that can only happen if we're honest and authentic with ourselves about pursuing a passion or let's call it a God-given talent or something that makes you feel happy and it doesn't feel like work, even though it is when you do it or pursue it. Like people should be open to seeing their lives and future in such a way. Right. And that's um, that's where I... I put a plug in for for liberal arts um i think uh i can't remember the last time i talked to a student or or a parent who wasn't like stem oriented right and i you know i i have no problem with with uh, with uh, it just comes with the territory what are you gonna do with, with stem but but the fact like in you know in the this letter that my my dad wrote that i found sort of the day after he he died he was you know, he was sort of ruminating and 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 so on. Um, and he was saying, you know, how much joy he gets from just walking in the fields and 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 so on. And then he asks, "Will our grandchildren have it this good?" Right. And and then he continues to answer his own question. He says, "I think so, if they learn to uh, read widely and write proficiently, and and uh, you know, all this kind of uh, all this kind of stuff." And you know he was a fanatic about the the liberal arts, and um, you know, and I I think it's so important that you know we can study you know the the STEM fields, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. But study, you know, philosophy as well. Study something. I I, I wrote a line, sort of, at, you know, suggesting that, and one of my students. Um, uh, she's a uh, from from uh, from Al Noor. She's at Williams, uh, and now she's doing a year um, in uh, at Oxford. And she talked about you know various different humanities classes that she's taking uh, at Oxford right now. And she said, you know, this is when I read that line, it really resonated with me because what you and, and my wife was also her teacher uh, had taught. You know, this is this is why I'm here in this classroom today. So that's that's the sort of thing. I, that- I know I know the line you're referring to. I actually was yeah. gonna. Uh, share it, but what- I like to 
talk to parents when I'm speaking to parents about sort of two different um, philosophies or uh, metaphors that we can use for for parenting, either being a, a carpenter parent or a gardener parent, right? So the carpenter parent is someone who, um, you know, has a has a blueprint, has something that they're trying to build, has a goal in mind. And, um, and then, you know, they just try to, uh, you know, follow those steps to get to that goal, right? And this is, this is the mindset that I think a lot of Muslim parents, well-intentioned Muslim parents, uh, you know, have, uh, have for their children, where they try to plan out their entire path with, you know, the ultimate goal of, of college and then a particular career and, and, and this and that. And, you know, uh, that, that's one path versus the gardener mindset, right? So the gardener is someone who, you know, plants the seeds and then, you know, fen fences it in, creates some sort of irrigation system, you know, but ultimately knows that, you know, uh, there's uh, so many factors out of their control that, that the, the garden is going to grow as Allah SWT wishes for it to grow. And, and so they're able to adjust, you know, to it. They're they're really focused on the process and and putting the right uh, you know tools in place rather than the ultimate uh, outcome, um, and you know so so same thing you know for a gardener parent you know the choice of college is not about a particular name brand or a particular uh, field uh, of study and a particular career it's more like what is our child you know they're like a sunflower what are they gravitating towards right um, and uh, and I think that uh, that gardener parenting style isn't something that's very common within within the the muslim world i think a lot of a lot of parents are very uh, you know they they really see essentially medicine or engineering as like the only two viable career paths and and it's just uh you know simply not the case like there are so you know so many paths to m much more wealth for one thing um uh, you know if you you know someone who starts a, a small business that's a successful small business you know can can make uh, you know far far more money than than even a very successful uh doctor or or engineer and they have the freedom of you know being in control of their own time but there's so many other paths and and you know with this ai revolution that we're going through right now who knows exactly what careers we're, we're preparing kids for. So really the purpose of a, a college education, a college trained mind is to give people the ability to think and the ability to, to you know, be flexible and, uh, and adapt. Problem solve, be creative, adapt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, a, it's, something, it's something that actually has to help you live and breathe, you know, testing, tweaking, repeating as far as your life choices, engaging things, you can't, you know, assume things are just going to be like dominoes or handed to you or, oh, I take this step, it'll take me to this step. Like you actually have to, the, the greatest investment is yourself, right? right? Everything else is just a, a label that you may or may not be able to use. But in the end of the day, it comes down to how you cultivate yourself. Right. right. Absolutely. And, and I, and I think that's why we live in an amazing time. Um, there's this guy, Alex Hormozy, who's a sort of uh, a really interesting young thinker and, and entrepreneur. And he always talks about investing in the S&Me 500. So essentially, like the, the single best returns you can get is by investing in yourself. And by, you know, right. and that's things like taking taking classes, you know, for a small business owner, it, paying for executive coaching and, and, and things like that, you know, um, 
trying to trying to level up your skills and so on. You know, if you go if you're interested in real estate and you go to a five hundred dollar like weekend seminar and you end up you know closing real estate deals of you know five hundred thousand dollars and and up you know the 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 return on investment is is amazing. You know, so investing in yourself and these days, you know, I think. Like I obviously I still believe in college. It's my whole business and 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 everything. But a lot of times, if if there's an expert within your field, someone that you're interested in, someone that writes stuff that that resonates with you, most likely they they probably offer some sort of course or something like that that you can actually uh, that you can actually take with them and learn directly, you know, from someone that you already know that 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 you respect um, and, and so on. There's so many ways to upgrade your your skills these days. And that's one of the best things that parents can do is, is, you know, to support that for their kids. If they, like my daughter loves video editing and, uh, and so on. So, you know, if, you know, when, when she had to get a new computer, um, you know, she, you know, she needed a, a MacBook good features, Pro. Good features. You know, she run a MacBook Pro, which was a little out of the uh, price range. So I said, well, you need to, you need to create sort of a shark tank type presentation. And then I'm going to get you in front of, you know, some investors, namely your grandparents. Um, And, and then she, she had to make her case for why it made sense for her to get, you know, a pricier pricier laptop. And, and so she, you know, she put the work in and she had this cute little presentation and much less she got it. She got Photoshop, you know, and, and, and so on. And it's those kinds of investments that we make in our kids and, uh, and, and that we should make in ourselves as well that make a that make a huge difference people just they're so myopic they're they're short-term thinking um you know is is such that they don't recognize that spending a little bit of money today you know can can bring so so much in return um so alhamdulillah alhamdulillah man i love it i love everything that you're uh, reminding us of here today some great advice we'll have the links of hamza's contact websites information program in the description of the show Hamza Henshaw, thank you so much for joining me today on Coffee with Kareem. God bless you and your family. Amen. Jazakallah khair. Such a such a pleasure to see you and uh, hope to see you in, in the flesh sometime soon, inshallah. <laughs> inshallah. Only if you get a big old hug. Yeah. Inshallah. <laughs> Coffee with Kareem podcast.